In John 7.37, in the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. And all kinds of people flocked to Jesus. And he described them by saying in Matthew 13.47, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. Multitudes came to Jesus and still come today, eager to get from him the loaves and the fishes. Some, like the rich young ruler, come seeking to obtain a reward. Others, like the Pharisees, come hoping to be commended about their religious beliefs and practices, to confirm that they are better than others. Others, like Judas, chose to come to Christ, considering this to be the best policy by which to fulfil their personal ambitions. All of them wanted to obtain the blessings that Christ has to offer, but none of them had any real need of him. These come to Christ, but not too close. They know about Jesus, they read about him, they hear what others say about him, and even what he says to others. They may call out to him, but have never met him face to face. Like Peter on the night of Christ's betrayal, they prefer to follow Christ from a convenient distance without compromising themselves. If by some accident they get too close and see him as he truly is, they turn away sorrowfully, their expectations disappointed like the rich young ruler and like many of his disciples that went back and walked no more with him, as we read about in John 6.66. Then there are those who are forced to come to Christ by circumstances against their own choice. People like Mary Magdalene and Joseph of Arimathea, as well as many others, like the blind and the crippled, who because of their deplorable condition have no one else to turn to, nowhere else to go, no other means to be healed. They have an affliction that no one but Christ can relieve. They do not come to add to their treasures because they have no treasure. They do not come to fulfil their ambitions because their affliction has eclipsed all other goals. They do not come to be commended because they know their true condition. They do not come to feel better than others because they know they are not. They do not want to come to Christ. They have no choice because not doing so is unbearable. These must come, not just to be near Christ, but they must touch and take hold of him. Like the woman with the issue of blood, they must see him face to face. It is not enough for them to talk about Jesus, to read about him, to sing about him. It is not enough for them to hear the words he has spoken to others. Christ must speak to their own souls. It is not enough to see them heal others. Christ must heal them. They refuse to presume that just because they have come near to him that their burden has been relieved unless they can see when before they were blind, unless they can run when before they could not walk, unless they live when before they were dead. They do not cease their efforts to seek an audience with Christ. 
imagining that their affliction has been taken away. As Jesus said in John 6.44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Many come to the gathering where Christ is supposed to be, but cannot find him there. The crowds obstruct him from view so that he cannot be seen. The din and the noise drowns out his voice so that his words are not heard. Men who come hoping to see and hear Christ return back after a while disappointed. Others remain complacently hoping that by some chance Jesus will bump into them. They enjoy the fellowship of the crowd and as they wait they become accustomed to the noise which gradually dulls their hearing and their ability to discern the voice of Jesus. They eventually come to think that the voice of the church is the voice of God and put the church in the place of Christ. They confuse being accepted into a group that claims to have found Christ as the same as having come to Christ. On two of the three occasions during his ministry, when Christ did visit the temple, he first had to cast out all that were defiling the place with their unholy presence. So the multitudes gather in search of Christ. Some who have chosen by themselves to go, others involuntarily drawn by the Father. The first come carelessly hoping for a reward, the others in deep affliction of soul. Jesus described those that came to him as the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares, the clean and the unclean. When Jesus compared the church to a fishing net, he said that it was filled with every kind, both good and bad. And in the last day, the good will be gathered out and the bad cast away. The good are those chosen by the Father, the bad are those who have chosen themselves. In that day, the bad will cry out, Lord, Lord, we came to you when you called. And he will say unto them, Depart from me, I never knew you. You can choose to come to Christ, but unless he has chosen you, he will not come to you, and you will not find him. If Christ has not spoken to you, if he has not touched you, if he has not healed you, your coming to him is of no value. It does not matter if you have chosen Christ, it only matters if Christ has chosen you. As Jesus said in John 15 and 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. We see this principle illustrated in the healing of the paralytic. John 5, 5 5-6 And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he'd been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? This man could not come to Christ because he could not walk. It is Christ that came to him. He did not choose Christ, but out of the multitude of sick and dying at the pool of Bethsaida, Christ chose him. It is not that you don't have any choice in the matter. You do have a choice, but it's not whether you come to Christ or not, but in what condition you come to him. Whether we all want to or not, This man's condition was receptive to Christ choosing to come and heal him. Jesus illustrated the matter another way with the parable of the wedding feast. 
Along with the invitation to the feast, the king sent out wedding garments. Some refused the invitation and rejected the garment. Others accepted the invitation and received the garment, but chose to come to the feast not wearing it. The king then came to inspect the condition of the guests, and only those wearing the garment were chosen to enter into the feast. The choice to come to the feast was worthless without also choosing to wear the wedding garment. As Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, for many are called, but few are chosen. The wedding garment represents the gift of God's grace. Jesus called to come to him is seasoned with grace. There is nothing anyone can do to obtain it other than accept it. But having it is not enough. Only those who make right use of it will meet the condition required to be among the chosen. Many are called, many receive his grace, many come to Jesus, but only a few are chosen because only a few choose to make the right use of his gift of grace. Now, some turn to Revelation 19.8 where it says that the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints and think that the wedding garment refers to their deeds or actions, the keeping of God's law. However, Paul says in Romans 3.10 that there is none righteous, no, not one, no matter the keeping the law by which no man is justified, as we read in uh, Galatians 2.16 and Romans 3.20. Others think that their faith is counted for righteousness as per Romans 4.5 and is therefore the wedding garment. But in fact, neither is the case. The wedding garment is not the acceptance of the invitation to the feast, nor looking forward to participate in it. Neither is it the, the effort, the work required to get to the feast. It is true that both faith and work are required to get to the feast, but these are not the wedding garment. The wedding garment is not something they have any input into. They do not choose it. They do not work for it. They can only wear it or not. It cannot be faith which one must choose to exercise. It cannot be good deeds or keeping of the law which one must work to perform. The wedding garment can only be the gift of grace which we either accept or we reject. And only those found wearing it can come to Christ. In John 6.65 says, No man can come unto me except it were given him of the Father. Now, there is great confusion about what God's grace is that we must apply to our lives in order to be chosen by God. Many mistakenly think that God's grace is just a pass that you need to accept to enter into heaven. Grace is not an entitlement. Grace is an instrument that must be properly used in order to enter heaven. Specifically, God's grace is the influence of the Holy Spirit upon the heart. Now, the main purpose of the Holy Spirit is to not to console the guilty and make them feel good about themselves, but to make men holy. That's why it's the Holy Spirit. It is not a means to give us assurance, but a means to unsettle our complacency and lead us to repentance. As we are told in John 16.8, it operates by convicting us of our desperate need for personal holiness in the light of our sinfulness and the judgment of God. Now, all will at some point in their lives have been impressed by the Holy Spirit. 
And some think that this means they have obtained God's grace. Having heard Christ's invitation does not mean that he has chosen you. It is not enough to accept the Holy Spirit's conviction of your need for personal holiness and come to Christ thinking that he will take care of it for you and do nothing more about it. It is not enough to store away the realisation of your sinfulness and need of holiness somewhere in the back of your mind and think nothing more of it. Like the wedding garment, we must put it on. We must be found wearing it. Like the woman with the issue of blood, the cripple at the pool of Bethsaida, the paralytic, this conviction of our true condition must become the very centre of our being. It must drive us in repentance to Christ until we have obtained from him the victory over our diseased natures. Now some will accept the conviction of the Holy Spirit and realise they cannot go to the marriage feast in their existing garments. But they don't like the wedding garment the king has sent. It's not their style. And instead of wearing it, they go to make for themselves a new garment that pleases them better, in which to meet the king. They accept their guilt, but they don't want God's Holy Spirit. They prefer a less Holy Spirit, one that only requires external holiness and is less concerned about internal holiness. They think that God will accept their new garment in place of his. Now how you respond to God's grace will determine what spirit you come to Christ in. You can either come to Christ filled with his spirit or you can come to Christ filled in your own spirit. And Christ only recognises and chooses those who come to him in his spirit. Others he will reject. Without the spirit of God in you, you will never find Christ. Only those who have received the grace of God will find him. Those who come to Christ all by themselves in their own spirit may have taken steps towards Jesus and presumed to have found him but never really encounter him. They easily mistake him for another who speaks loving and comforting words of peace and forgiveness and assurance and makes them feel good but who cannot heal their affliction. They may claim to have been blessed by his presence while they remain blind and crippled and even spiritually dead. They may put on fake holiness, moralism, geniality, good works, displays of humility, and keep the law to the letter, but they remain filled with selfish motivation, inward pride, temporal ambition, and self-satisfaction. If they had found Christ, not just the outside, but the inside of the vessel would be clean. They satisfy themselves at having had some emotional experience or accepting some theological ideas or observing certain customs or practices or seeing visions or performing miracles is proof that they have come to Christ. But this is not evidence that they have found him. Manifesting the external motions of Christianity while believing and wanting Christ's promised blessings and actually finding Christ are two very different things. Jesus declared that unless you come to him having his spirit, your faith and works are of no value. He said in John 6:63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And in John 4, 23, 24, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit 
and in truth. We get a better idea of what it means to come to Christ in God's spirit in the parable of the publican and the Pharisee. Here we see that no matter how good or kind they are, or how correct their beliefs, or the goodness of their works, or the keeping of the law, those who come to Christ with their own spirit will not be accepted by him. Now many people consider the Pharisee a righteous man, and the publican some evil sinner. But the reality is that both before God were equally sinners, for all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. The publican was no less holy and no more a sinner than the Pharisee. If the publican had had any regard for sin, his prayer would not have been heard, as we read in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And in Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. So the only thing that determined which prayer was heard was the spirit in which they came. One came being full of his own spirit, and the other came being full of the spirit of God. One came wearing the wedding garment, the other did not. While one was blind to his sinfulness, the other saw and despised it. The Pharisee was dead to the spirit of God, devoid of God's grace. The publican, on the other hand, was fully convicted of his desperate need for personal holiness in the light of his sinfulness and God's judgment. And we read in Luke 18, 13, And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God will accept all who, having received his grace, come in the same spirit of repentance as the publican. As we read in Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are a broken heart, and saveth such as are of a contrite spirit. And Isaiah 66, 2, Said the Lord, To this man will I look, even to him who is of poor and a contrite heart, and trembleth at my word. All who are convicted of their sinfulness and their lack of holiness will have the same contrite, poor and humble spirit that the publican had. In fact, those who are filled with his Holy Spirit have no choice but to come to Christ. No one else can understand their burden. And he alone can satisfy the longing of their soul. And all who thus come to Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, will find him. And he will choose them. And he will come to them. Christ does not come to those who, like the Pharisee, come to him in their abundance, in their pride, in their self-satisfaction. Christ comes only to those who come to him in affliction of soul. Those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, who are meek, and who hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is the work of grace. This is the wedding garment that God offers to all. But only those who wear it can come to Christ. We see this again illustrated in the healing of the blind man in John 9, 1-3. It says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, 
neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. This man was born blind for no other reason but to illustrate the work of grace in the healing of the soul. His condition was a serious affliction to him. His affliction was unmistakable, not just to himself, but to all. He could not just deny his condition or think and hope that it would someday go away. He did not need comforting. He did not need reassuring. He did not need to feel good about himself. He needed to be healed. He was fully convicted of his desperate need, one that only an encounter with Christ could heal. The blind man's affliction represents, as I said, the work of grace upon the heart. This man's affliction was of no comfort to him, but motivated him to find healing in Christ. So also God's grace is not a means to bring us comfort, but instead afflicts us with a deep conviction of our own sinfulness and need of holiness that only Christ can heal and drives us to find healing in him. It was only because of this affliction that Christ came to the blind man and healed him. And this is true of all who Christ heals. The ten lepers, the woman with issue of blood, Jairus and his dying daughter, Peter after his denial, Paul on the road to Damascus. They are afflicted in their mind and body. An affliction that cannot be consoled, that no one, no institution, no church, no social intervention can cure, but only the touch of Jesus. Isaiah 48.10 Behold, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. They say ignorance is bliss, but the blind man could not ignore the reality of his conviction. So he had no way of avoiding being afflicted by it. In contrast, we are by nature blind to our sinfulness and lack of holiness. And so it does not afflict us. It is only those who by God's grace can see their true condition that are afflicted. As Jesus said in Mark 2.17, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The scribes and the Pharisees were completely blind to their spiritual condition. And so it caused them no affliction whatsoever. And having no need of Christ, they were not healed. They resisted the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They rejected the grace of God. They refused to accept that there was anything especially wrong with them and so had nothing to be afflicted about. In choosing to refuse being afflicted, When they came to Christ, he could do nothing for them. He had no choice but to ignore them. Accordingly, the Bible commands in James 4, 9-10, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Only a few who have some time received God's grace choose to suffer its affliction of soul. The rest, thinking that they have found Christ, are self-satisfied and instead choose to drink and eat and be merry. 
They rejoice that they have obtained an invitation to the wedding feast and give no thought to the wedding garment. They are no longer afflicted by their spiritual condition and as a result the Lord cannot choose them. He cannot come to them. He cannot heal them. They remain as they are, unholy, impure, slaves to their own iniquity. Paul, God's chosen vessel, the mightiest of all the apostles, years after his conversion, cries out in affliction of soul, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? It is only in affliction that gospel has any power. Only through affliction can it advance. And Paul continues in Romans 8.1, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And Galatians 5.16, I say this, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. To walk in the Spirit is to be afflicted because of your desperate need for personal holiness in the light of our own sinfulness in God's judgment. It is only in this affliction that Christ chooses to come to us and heal us. God invites us to participate, to partake in the affliction of the gospel that we might receive his power and glory. As we read in 2 Timothy 1.8, Be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now many wonder why Moses was chosen by God to lead Israel out of Egypt. What was special about him? Does God just randomly throw a dice and say, Hey, you're the lucky one. No. Moses did have a choice. And we read about his choice in Hebrews 11, 24 to 25. By faith, Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Christ does not choose the proud, those that are at ease, those that surround themselves with pleasant things of the earth. Christ only chooses those that are afflicted, those who are moved by the grace of God. If you have no affliction of soul, it's because Christ has not yet chosen you. And I say not yet chosen because unlike the blind man, not all are afflicted from birth. Some are afflicted in their youth and some are afflicted later in life. But all who are chosen are afflicted. Some may not have an urgent sense of the need for Christ, but they have some realisation that all is not right within them and desire something better. This sense is the voice of Christ calling them. And if they hear his voice... Do not turn away, but ask God who giveth more grace, as we're told in James 4, 6, to give them clearer vision. Christ's voice will grow louder until the affliction of the gospel drives them to seek Christ and until they have found him. God wants to awaken all to the spiritual affliction, but the deceitful and presumptuous heart of man will not let him. They want to find some way to avoid this affliction. Many consider themselves to be fundamentally good and so don't need to be any more holy than they already are. They simply reject God's grace. Some accept that their own hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, but have found some way of suppressing any anxiety that it brings so as to ignore it. They turn to religious theories 
or philosophy or psychology or medications or observances or entertainment or charitable works. No matter what the cost, they would rather suppress the anxiety than be afflicted by it. If anxiety does happen to creep up on them, unsuspectingly, they quickly double down and increase their dose of their preferred suppressant. Others flatter themselves that they have already come to Christ and no longer need to be afflicted. They say within themselves, that is enough. Now just believe and accept that you have found him. They imagine that God sees them as being holy even while they remain impure. They forget that their choosing to come to Christ is of no value unless Christ chooses to come to them. And Christ only chooses those who come to him wearing the king's garment. In his spirit, those who are afflicted by his grace. Jesus invites us not just to come to him, but to accept his burden. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This burden is not the making of long prayers, nor of long pilgrimages, nor of much penance, or of sacrificial giving, or of doing good works, or leaving your home to go on missionary journeys. No, they are burdened with the shame of their faults, their knowledge of their own weaknesses, their wrong inclinations, their evil propensities. It is the yearning for holiness in the inner man and the realisation that their thoughts, their words and actions are impure. Paul wrote about this burden that those who come to Christ are called to bear in 2 Corinthians 4 verses 10 and 16 to 17. And Paul says always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What do you think it means to bear in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you thought about that? Paul calls it a light affliction. Do you think that Christ was afflicted as he hung on the cross dying? Did the physical pain afflict him? Or was it the shame of the cross as Hebrews 12:2 tells us? Or was it the personal rejection? Or instead Was it that having become sin for us, having become just as we are in his mind, full of evil imaginations, anger, contempt, retaliation, threatenings, selfishness and pride, was an unbearable affliction to his holy soul. Here he was with the guilt of the whole world upon him and the sinful thought of every sinner who has ever lived in his mind, not in his hand or in his foot, in his mind. Here he was with all these sins in his mind and the lust thereof, yet longing to be holy even as God is holy. Do you think this struggle caused him any affliction? 
We like to say that he died of a broken heart, but that is not the case. It was the internal struggle between his holiness and the sin that had been put upon him that ripped him apart. As Hebrews 12.4 says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. To bear in our body the dying of Christ is to share in his affliction on the cross. This is what it means to take up his cross and follow him. To strive for holiness of mind and action unto death in full view of the tide of sinfulness that is within our own hearts. This burden of holiness is of God's own choosing. It is he that has placed this affliction upon those that he has chosen so that they pursue after Christ until they become one with him and become holy even as he is holy. 1 Peter 1.15 And as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.4 According as he has chosen us in him that we should be holy. That's what he chooses us for. And 1 Thessalonians 4.7 For God has called us unto holiness. You can come to Christ as many do and be amongst the multitude that casually gather to see and hear him. But he will never come to you You will never see him face to face unless afflicted with his burden. You seek him earnestly until you have obtained holiness. As the scripture says in Hebrews 12.4, Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Some feel burdened from time to time with their lack of holiness. They make some attempt to seek Christ, but they're soon distracted by other interests and lay Christ's burden aside. They are satisfied to carry Christ's burden a little way and go no further and hence will not find him. They put on the wedding garment and set out to the feast, but finding the way too straight and narrow, stop, hoping that the king will send his chariot to come and pick them up. Too many people presume that desiring holiness and making some effort to obtain it is sufficient. But this is not the case at all. The parable of the pearl of great price teaches us that it takes everything we have. As Jeremiah 29.13 says, And ye shall seek me, and ye shall find me, when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. You may wish to climb Mount Everest, but it takes determined effort to get to its summit. Many people have perished by the way. As higher above Mount Everest is God, so much more is required from those who seek to find him. Only those who are determined to find Christ, no matter the obstacles, or what the cost may be, will find him. Only those that are so burdened to obtain holiness that they have no other hope, and no other interest, no other goal, will see him face to face. Only those to whom God has given them this affliction of soul can come to Christ. And only these will he choose in that day when he separates the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the holy from the unholy. Second Peter 3.14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him. 
Now those who have climbed Mount Everest know that the higher you go, the more difficult it becomes. Christ's burden does not grow lighter with each step, but weighs more heavily upon the heart. The closer they come to Christ, the more clearly they see his purity and holiness, and the more grievous their affliction becomes in light of their own sinful condition. The more they recognise their desperate need, the more they earnestly seek him. This is evidence that they are receiving more of the Holy Spirit and are growing in grace. It is proof that they have put on the wedding garment and that they are meeting the condition to find Christ and be chosen by him. Those who think they have come to Christ who are not afflicted by the lack of holiness have no further need to diligently seek him. They think they have become rich and increased in spiritual goods and no longer seek him as one who is wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They have not found Christ. He does not know them and are certain to come short of the glory of God and be spewed out of his mouth. In conclusion, we have considered what it means to come to Christ. It means to take up his burden, to share in his affliction. Of the vast multitudes that came to Christ, few came to him out of affliction, having no other choice since no one else could heal them. This affliction is the work of grace. It is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of our desperate need for personal holiness in light of our own sinfulness and God's soon coming judgment. This affliction drives us to seek God to obtain true holiness, not in theory, but in practice. The others come to Christ not because of their, they are afflicted, but to add to their existing blessings. Being self-content, they're happy to be declared holy as long as it is only in theory and does not interfere with what they want to do. These two classes, as we've said, are represented by the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares, the clean and the unclean. And from a distance they all look the same. Have you seen a mountain goat? Have you seen a mountain sheep? Can you tell the difference between them? Can you tell the difference between wheat and tares? They all come and sit at Christ's feet. They all sing his praises. But while one class has on the wedding garment, the other has not. While one class is driven by Christ's grace, the other comes out of self-interest. One comes full of Christ's Holy Spirit, the other in their own spirit. One class is self-chosen, the other is chosen of God. Of those who come to Christ, only those who are afflicted will be chosen. And we read about this affliction in the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 4, where it says, And the Lord said unto him, this is the man with the writer's inkhorn in his hand, Go through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all of the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. They are afflicted because they see the wide contrast between sin and righteousness, the holy and the profane. Not just in the church, but in themselves. 
They know what it means to bear in their own body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only these whom Christ will choose when he comes to gather his own. And we are told in Maranatha, page 240, that the class who do not feel grieved over their own spiritual declension nor mourn over the sins of others will be left without the seal of God. The more those who are obtaining the seal of God are filled with the Holy Spirit, the more their affliction increases. And those who are not thus afflicted will receive the mark of the beast and perish along with the wicked, irrespective of their faith or their works or their keeping of the commandments. There are wars and rumours of wars. Nations are rising against nation. There are food shortages and pestilence and deception at every hand. Iniquity and hatred increases and is visible everywhere. And places that were once holy have been desecrated by abominable idolatry. There are many today crying, as we read in Matthew 24, 23 and 24, Lo, here is Christ. For there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. These false Christs call out, Peace and safety. All who come unto me will be chosen. No one will be lost. Be not afflicted in your hearts. Be, be happy, believing that God accepts your impure soul just as it is. Many have gone out after them, thinking they have come to Christ, but Christ does not know them and will never choose them. Christ does accept sinners of every kind. But only those who are afflicted because of their sin and lack of holiness. Soon the mark or seal of God will be placed upon God's chosen. Are you seeking more of his grace? Have you put on the wedding garment? Will Christ choose you? Or do you see no need to be afflicted over your present spiritual condition?